0: day and welcome to another episode of left after breakfast coming to you from melbourne australia broadcast from the studios of 3cr your only radio left my name is Susanna duffy in this episode we look at the new road signage that's under fire in new zealand A 1970s campaign for paid housework? Would you pay the correct climate cost for your groceries? And why are so many of us still cooking with gas? And we remember Hiroshima. But first, the animal news. Some happy animal news. You'll be pleased to know that Leo, the Black Labrador who was stolen from his own backyard on the 30th of July, is now home, safe and sound, and happy with his even happier owners. And more happiness. A mother dolphin and her calf have been rescued and released back to the ocean almost two years after they became trapped in a Louisiana pond system. They were stuck in there because of a storm surge and flooding that came with Hurricane Ida. Well, that's some flipping good news, isn't it? And this is interesting. A leading supermarket in Germany has trialed charging customers the true climate costs of their food. The supermarket, Penny, raised the prices of nine key items to reflect the hidden costs of production on soil, climate, water use, and health. What did this mean for the cost of everyday items? Well, vegan schnitzels had a moderate 5% rise, while the sausages doubled in price. The price of Mastama cheese rose a whopping 94% with the increase including the cost of climate harming emissions and for the pesticides used and for the cost to the health of the farmers well that's certainly throwing the true climate cost in your face isn't it but cheese doubling its price i don't know what i'd do would you be prepared to pay the price the real climate cost price I think I just have to stop eating cheese, especially Maz which I really like. It's quite hard enough already, with the cost of things going up and up, and when you're on a fixed income, as so many of us are, the answer's probably living on food grown in your own backyard. That is, of course, if you have a backyard. Some of us don't even have that. 3CR Did you see all the drama in New Zealand about road signs? Plans to introduce bilingual road signs, featuring both English and the Reo Maori languages, was meant to be an inclusive gesture, but instead it sparked a divisive racially charged debate. And this is just ahead of the country's looming general election. The idea from the Waka Kotahi Transport Agency. That name, by the way, means traveling together as one. Great name. And it wants to promote cultural understanding and social cohesion. But the idea hasn't gone down too well with right-wing opposition parties. The National Party spokesperson said, sign should be in English. We all speak English. For many in the Māori community, the plan is as much about signposting their cultural heritage as it is about understanding road directions. Slightly less than a quarter of New Zealand's 892,000 Māori speak Te Reo Maui as one of their first languages. A major reason why Te Reo Maori is not so widely spoken is because Back in the colonial era, there were active efforts to stamp out that language. This, of course, led to a decline in that language, and the New Zealand government now is trying to bring it back, to preserve it as part of the country's cultural heritage. Fabulous idea. The bilingual road signs in Wales definitely work and there was a huge commotion from the right-wing groups across the UK when those bilingual signs were brought in in Wales. We all speak English in England, they said, so we'll just wait and see what happens in New Zealand. Using the example of Wales isn't really random. There are a lot of parallels uncomfortable parallels between the fortunes of te reo Maori and the Welsh language. Cumraic at the same time that 19th century european settlers in new zealand were punishing students for speaking te reo maori the british government was actively discouraging the use of the welsh in 1847 A government report into Welsh linked the language to stupidity, sexual promiscuity, and unruly behaviour. This prompted a drive to remove the language completely, as you would. In the 1960s, there was a series of civil disobedience campaigns by the Welsh Language Society. One of those campaigns involved defacing and removing English-only signs on streets and roads. However, in 1993, the British Parliament passed the Welsh Language Act, ensuring that that language shares the same status as English. Welsh is now spoken by more than 900,000 people in Wales, out of a population of less than 3 million. And the road signs in Wales are bilingual. Hawaii is now trialing road signs, which use, apart from English, olelo Hawaii, (laughs) another Polynesian language, another language beyond me. I'm not laughing at the language itself, but at my inability to pronounce it and talking of inabilities in language. I must mention one road sign in Wales which made national headlines in 2008 when local council officials sought a translation for a road sign that was meant to say no entry for heavy goods vehicles, residential site only. But sadly, they emailed the translation service and didn't scrutinise the reply. So the road sign went up for eight weeks, clearly saying sorry for the inconvenience i'm out of the office at the moment Three CR, and let's hear from glenn the 3cr resident historian and it's about housework and the campaign for paid housework
1: well way back in 1972 the wages for housework campaign was launched the headline in the US magazine National Enquirer said, Hey fellas, could you afford forty thousand dollars to high women? Guess what a housewife is worth? Clare workers, housewives, it's child carers, cleaners, chefs, dishwashers, nurses and family counsellors. It was kicked off by the International Feminist Collective in the conference of Podobietly. And it spread with campaigns, US, UK... And they realise that women do so much unpaid work and, like, where's the recognition for it? I mean, the caring work isn't a biological destiny or love it's done. It's because of capitalism, that work needs a wage. Women's unpaid labour isn't accounted for in the GDP. Housework, you know, the cleaning of the dishes, changing the nappies, mowing the lawn, whatever, none of it's packed up from GDP. And it's essential for capitalism to reproduce itself These workers... It's done, but it's not paid for. So the Wages for Housework campaign, and they said, all women are workers, and we should have a return for it, a recognition for it, you know? Well, people like Nicole Cox and uh, Emma Federici made it quite clear in their booklet, counterplaying from the kitchen, Wages for Housework. That is a line being artificial locked in work and non-work. About housework is going to non-work, be the wage labour. And this is part of the push for you know, the Wages of a Housework campaign. This is real work. It's a real job. Keep the family going. Keep the system going. The Wages of Housework campaign went out through the 70s and it, it organized women in different areas, different parts of the workforce. And it's for housework. And um, there's different ways it manifests itself. The women's work was a form of labor, a of recognition. And it combined theory with actual hard yards. Somehow... We've lost our way over the last few decades, and no longer this campaign has been forgotten. About. And we work harder than ever in the home, we work harder than ever raising families at that, the social reproduction. But there's no recognition for us, okay? No government counted in the GDP, housework is not recognized. We know back in 1975, the UN said, Okay, we should consider you know, housework is part of GP. the wages of housework campaign is as relevant as ever. And we can learn from that. You making the sandwiches, you changing nappies, that is work, just as much as a man pressing a button in a stock exchange or driving a train. But some people have lost these things. Well, driving
0: a train's a bit more like
1: work than sitting in the stock exchange. Well, but they consider that work, they consider it productive, pressing buttons to make money. You know, aren't they the real workers, the the entrepreneurs, the risk-takers? And that's called work, you know, pressing buttons to make money. Raising four kids at home feeding, cleaning isn't considered work. As I keep saying, 50 years ago, the wages of a housework campaign was kicked off. Has it been forgotten? Has it been bypassed? What's happened? But it's good to recall those lessons and those struggles. It's been totally ignored 50
0: years down the track. It's still ignored as it was then. Well? I think it was just... um, It's not wages for housework, it's for wages for a carer. People get paid to be a carer. I suppose you should be paid to care for someone, to be their nurse, to uh, go shopping and buy food and cook for them and feed them and clean up after them and then clean their clothes.
1: Uh, Look, in my job, I liaise with carers. I encounter quite a few carers working amongst the cohort I work with. But again, they're paid carers and so many, many more. Women, especially unpaid carers, and yeah, at least carers are recognised to an extent of a wage, but the unpaid caring. And how many women have to raise, not just their children, but maybe their husband or their parents. And at work, raising those families, if you could put a monetary value to them, what would it be worth? So anyway, I think it's good to just resurrect these things again and discuss the fact this campaign started 50 years ago. And let's put it back on the radar. Wages for housework? I say go for it. Yeah, go for it indeed.
2: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.
0: Oh, and by the way, you're paying way too much for your home-cooked meals and for your hot showers and for your cosy room in winter, if that is, you're one of the 5 million or so Australian homes using gas for cooking and or heating. Collectively, these households are paying billions of dollars more for their energy than they need to. According to a fast-growing stack of analyses, all electric homes are not just better for the environment and healthier for their occupants, but also cheaper to run than those that rely on gas. How much cheaper it is depends really on where you live. Who your energy supplier is and your pattern of use. A unit of gas costs more for a household in Brisbane than in Melbourne, but in Melbourne, the consumer likely pays more in total because they use it for heating, not just cooking. The big picture, no matter where you live, is that the cost advantage of electric over gas is large and it's grown as the share of cheap renewables in the energy system has increased and as the technology of electric appliance has improved. Induction worktops, reverse cycle air conditioning, heat pump water heaters, vastly more efficient than their gas equivalents. A report recently released by Renew, a non-profit group that monitors energy prices, and by Environment Victoria, found that Victorians could cut their heating bills in the winter months by as much as 75% if they ditch gas in favour of efficient reverse cycle air conditioning. There are plenty more numbers available, but the point is, there's no rational financial case for the domestic use of gas. There are other strong reasons to get households off gas. A growing body of medical evidence has found health risks for those who use gas. Unburnt gas is always leaking from appliances, and this includes toxic substances like benzene, a carcinogen. When gas is burned, it produces nitrogen dioxide and fine particulates that are a respiratory irritant particularly for people with existing conditions like asthma. Why didn't we know of this before? One problem, of course, is that we haven't yet woken up that advances in induction cooking mean it now outperforms gas, and we still fall for the bogus claims from the industry about the superiority of gas. Well, what are we going to do How much would it cost to have your whole home converted to electricity instead of gas? I mean, seriously, who can afford that? And what about renters? They'll be left behind again. I suppose what we really need is government assistance for all. To change our homes over to electricity. Yes, there will be a lot of money, yes indeed. And the gas companies wouldn't like that. But think where we would be in the future. Just think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Even if it does cost a lot of money in the beginning. And we mustn't forget Hiroshima. It's not really talked about much anymore, is it? 78 years ago, a US B 29 bomber dropped an atomic bomb nicknamed little boy on the japanese city of hiroshima three days later on the 9th of august 1945 before the japanese authorities had even had the opportunity to evaluate the situation u.s president truman authorized a second a larger bomb fat man to be dropped on the city of nagasaki The bomb detonated over Hiroshima had an explosive yield equal to 15,000 tons of TNT. It raised and burned 70% of all buildings and caused an estimated 140,000 deaths. The bomb over Nagasaki leveled 6.7 square kilometers of the city and killed an estimated 74,000 people. The overwhelming majority of these people, of course, was civilians. USA knew that anyway. In Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those victims died without any care whatsoever. People who entered those cities later to try and give some assistance died from radiation The fireball from a nuclear detonation takes about 10 seconds to reach its maximum size. The effects last for decades and span generations. These bombings constitute the most horrific war crime ever committed. And to this day, only the US government and its military. The self-proclaimed leadership of the free world have used such dreadful nuclear weapons no military necessity justified the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and their populations why did they do it the motive behind those bombings involved American imperialism's goal of terrorizing the Soviet Union as part of the already unfolding Cold War. Today, there are now 13,000 nuclear weapons shared between USA, Russia, China, France, the UK, Pakistan, India, Israel and North Korea. Six other nations are known to be hosting nuclear weapons, Italy, Turkey, Belgium, Germany, the Netherlands and Belarus. The very existence of these devastating weapons poses the grave danger that at some point in a time of intense crisis, they will be used against foreign foes or even domestic opposition. The very existence of these weapons... Is total recklessness. Weapons like this in the hands of a few powerful men, cold blooded men who would stop at nothing, should chill your blood. It certainly chills mine. This is where we are today. This is where we have arrived. 78 years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We are here in this vast social, political, and moral regression. It was so dark because of the smoke and dust being sucked up in the mushroom cloud and the ghostly procession. I say ghostly because they just didn't look like human beings. Their hair was just all standing up towards the sky. They were burned and blackened and swollen. Parts of the bodies were missing, and uh, they were covered with blood, and clothes were tattered, and the flesh and skin hanging from their bones.
3: Yashi Aka stumbles to the door of the communications bunker. Climbing on top of the bunker, she is stunned to discover her city in ruins.
2: There was a soldier on the ground suffering from burns. I thought, there's someone on the ground, and ran towards him. He noticed me and said, half groaning, we've been hit by a new type of bomb, a new type of bomb.
3: A local photographer finds a huddle of burned people on the morning of August 6th, trying to soothe their wounds with cooking oil. After seeing his classmates consumed by fire, seven-year-old Takashi Tanamori is pulled from the ruins of his burning school by a soldier and carried into the city.
1: There was a man, I think he was a man, unrecognizably burned, scarred, and marred. You can't tell, but I knew that was a man. He said to the soldier who's clutching me in his arm, He said, water,
0: water, please, water. And the soldier
3: just... 11-year-old Tetsushi Yanazawa and his mother are only 750 yards from ground zero, shielded in a crowded tram. All the other passengers are killed by the blast.
2: (laughs) My
3: mother and I were surrounded by people, so we were uninjured. I knocked my head and got shards of glass in my hair, but at that time I didn't notice them. My mother grabbed my hand and said, Are you all right, tetsushi When I replied that I was okay, she said that we should get off the tram. Yoshi Aka returns to her post in the communications bunker, desperate to send out the news of what has happened in Hiroshima. She finds one working phone and reaches an officer in regional headquarters.
2: I said, Yes, the whole of Hiroshima has been annihilated. The person at the other end said, I don't understand what you are saying. What do you mean, annihilated? As I thought about how I could possibly make him understand, I remembered what the soldier on the embankment said. We've been hit by a new type of bomb. So I said to him, We've been hit by a new type of bomb.
0: A new type of bomb. We now have 13,000 of them sitting around the world. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week. Same time, same place. Until then, it's Cheerio and Ciao from Left After Breakfast. And I'll leave you with Sinead.
2: Yeah